Ecclesiastes chapter 12, I'll read verses 1 through 14. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, and the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors in the street are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails. Because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge and weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Thanks for the chance to gather together at the beginning of the week, last Sunday of the week of a year, to worship you. Lord, thanks for your grace to us. Thanks for your kindness to us. Thanks for your goodness to us. And God, this morning, I pray that you'd open up our eyes that we would behold wondrous things from your word and give us a holy, awesome fear of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Where will your journey take you? We've come to pretty much a long end of a journey through the book of Ecclesiastes this fall. I think we've spent almost 14 or 15 weeks on the end this. We're going to come to the conclusion today. And I told Teresa, I said, I feel like I'm kind of going to lose a friend. I've been hanging out with him uh, for many weeks now. Whenever you go on a journey and have been on long trips, you take a trip someplace and you're with a group of people that you don't know and you get to know them for a little bit and everybody takes this journey. It's on a trek maybe. You're climbing up a mountain. You all start to talk and you talk and you talk and you get to know each other and you go through some good times, some bad times and you head up and down and then towards the end. And almost every trip I've been on like this, this does happen towards the end when people know they're getting close. All of a sudden, everybody kind of gets real quiet. You just stop talking and you kind of, everybody just kind of starts savoring the moment because they, they've known this experience was coming, they're looking forward to it, and you get to the top of the hill or the top of the mountain or wherever the place you're going, and everybody just kind of is really quiet, really calm. You're just taking a deep breath and you're reflecting about it. Just what does it mean? What was the point? What's the important takeaway from this trip? 
That's pretty much what's happened here at the end of Ecclesiastes. We have covered much good ground with the preacher, with the teacher. He's been like a philosophy guide for us, and he's taken us down many different paths. He's taken us down the path of wisdom. He's taken us down the path of pleasure. He's taken us down the path of right living. He's taken us down the path of work. He's taken us down the path of wealth. And he's taken us down the path of honor to say, hey, where do you find real satisfaction, real happiness, real meaning in lives? Will these paths do it? What's the meaning of all it is of this thing called life under the sun? And if you listen really carefully when you watch the news or when you talk to people or you hear what's been written in the newspaper, and that's the question that's being asked over and over by all of humanity. What's the meaning of it all? You'll hear it everywhere if you listen well. And what we've found so far is that none of these things, any of them themselves, none of these wisdom, pleasure, right living, work, wealth, honor, none of those things, even right living, none of those things in and of themselves will give you full satisfaction and full meaning of life. None of them will do it. 1932, Albert Einstein in his credo wrote, Our situation on this earth seems strange. Every one of us appears here involuntarily and uninvited for a short stay without knowing the why and the wherefore. The author of Ecclesiastes, the teacher, the preacher, as he calls himself, he'd resonate with that statement from Albert Einstein. And he would wonder, why has he taken this journey? And what is the meaning of it all? That's the question everybody asks. It's the question you all ask. From Albert Einstein to little Eddie in the corner with a dunce hat on. No matter what scale of intelligence you are in humanity, everybody asks that question. What's the meaning of all this thing called life? And it's absolutely wacky because it can be in one lifetime, you can be Albert Einstein and little Eddie in the dunce, all wrapped up in one, which was what Albert Einstein's life was. He was a little dunce in the corner as a kid they didn't understand and becomes the smartest man, one of the smartest men in history that we know of, all wrapped up in this wacky thing called life, these crazy, bizarre things that we can't understand. People want to know what's the meaning of it all. And as I've gone through Ecclesiastes, I think the musicians tell this story over and over again. It's the song that gets sung repeatedly through history, and many songs have sung it. 1950s, Hank Williams sang it in Ramblin' Man. When he says, I can settle down and be doing just fine till I hear a train of rolling down the line. I just can't find any satisfaction. I just got to keep looking someplace else. I can't figure out the meaning of life. And then Bob Dylan said it in 1960s in the song, What Do You Feel? For a whole generation of new music coming out, trying to figure out how do you go through life? What do you feel? Maybe where do you find your feelings? Where are you going to find some satisfaction? And then Barb... Bob Marley sang it in the 1970s with Running Away, where he said, you can't find the place where you belong. can't figure out this thing called life. I can't figure out where I belong. And then Elliot Smith sang it in the 90s with his Ballad of the Big Nothing, 
where he couldn't figure out life so much that he ended his life at 34 years old filled with a life of depression, alcohol, and drugs because he just couldn't figure out this thing called life. It was the ballad of big nothing. And in the, in the 2000s, Pharrell Williams has summed it up for a new generation with his song, Happiness, where he says, it feels like happiness is the truth. Bob Marley, or Bob Dylan asked, what do you feel in the 60s? And now it feels like truth is the happiness. It feels like happiness is the truth. The problem with it is 2015 has not all been that happy for the world, has it? People still aren't happy. And even though it's not the same happiness of, that we understand that the world's difficult and you've got to fight for happiness and you've got to find happiness, people still feel like, I can't understand this thing called life. And the teachers brought us all the way through this. And all these songs are trying to answer for us the question, what does it mean? What's the meaning of it all? It's the same question that all of us have asked. And at the end of the year, the reality is most of us have question marks for this next coming year. All of us sitting here, we, all, we have question marks in our head. We might not have articulated them, written them down yet, but the reality is you have question marks. What's 2016 going to be like? Or why was 2015 this way? And how come this happened? Or how is this going to work out next year? And why is things this way? That's what life is, isn't it? Filled with question marks. We, we like to put on a face that says that we can figure it all out. That's not reality. That's not the real life. That's not how the teacher has been teaching us to live. Life is filled with questions. He said that. It's filled with murky, unclear things. That's how life is under the sun. And so as old man 2015 comes crawling to his last few hours. Ecclesiastes 12 this morning can be, for you, a great freeing friend and a very firm foundation to help you walk into a new year. The first thing he does in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 is he wraps up what he's been trying to say. First thing he says, he reminds us about a reality that our culture hates to consider. He says to us, that you're going to fade. Our culture hates that idea. Our culture hates the idea that we are going to get old. He even calls it this, the grievous day. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Because there's an evil day coming when you're going to have no pleasure in them. And evil day isn't moral. He's talking about just the grievances and the inconveniences of old age. And he gives the greatest poem on aging that's probably ever been written. He says, there's a day coming when you're going to fade. Our culture doesn't like that. We don't like that idea that we're going to fade, that we're going to get old. But he says it's going to happen to all of us, and he describes it, what it's like. He says, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars darkened and the clouds return after the rain. He, he depicts humanity and life as an old house that's kind of fallen apart. When you're starting to get older, things aren't working the way that they used to work. The door's creaky, just like your bones are creaky. Things hurt. They're starting to sag. Things are starting to fall off. There's paint coming down. That's not the way our culture likes to live. He says, in the days when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders, your teeth are gone. My grandma used to talk to me before she'd go to bed, and she says, well, good night. I'm going to go take my face off, and she'd take her eyes out. She'd take her ears out. She'd take her teeth out. She'd start falling away. So that's old 
age. It's an old home. It's windows. Our eyes get darker. It says we're afraid. People get older. They're afraid to go out. You might break a hip. Something might happen. You, you get up really early in the morning. You used to be able to sleep all the way through the night. Now you've got to get up, take breaks in the middle of the night. This is age where you're going to fade away. Our culture doesn't like this. If you were Peter Pan, you would stay young. It's what you do. But you're not Peter Pan. We fade away. And that's what he's saying. He's fading away. We fight against this constantly. And then we die, he says. He says, before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel is broken and the grasshopper drags itself along. This summer when we were on vacation, we were climbing up this mountain in Tennessee, and I had one of the boys with me, and we're walking around. It was unbelievably hot, beautiful day. I'm looking around, and out of the blue, he says to me, we see there's hop, grasshoppers everywhere. They're hopping up unbelievably high, and out of the blue, he says, wow, grasshoppers are awesome. They're just hopping high, enjoying life, and when it gets cold, the grasshoppers don't do that anymore. And that's how old age comes. And we fight against it. We don't like the idea that we're going to fade. Our culture hates the idea that we're going to fade. We're desperate not to fade. We don't want to fade. There was a time when that wasn't true. There was a time when our founding fathers, they used to powder their wigs gray in order to appear young and wise. That's not the way it is at all anymore. We, we hate this idea of fading. That's why you see uh, 75-year-old men in tight jeans still. It just looks wrong. You know, or they're wearing Converse, and they just think it's cool. That's not the way it's supposed to be. That just doesn't seem right. But we hate the idea of getting old, but we are, and we feel it, and we know it, and we're going to fade, but we fight against it. And our culture has fought against it unbelievably. There's $1.2 billion is spent on liposuction in the United States. $800 million is spent on hair transplants. $10.4 billion is spent on cosmetic surgery. Because we want to look good. And people are going to fight it till their frozen face is gone. And then you die. And every funeral you go to, if you haven't cremated the person, they walk in. Someone's going to say this. Almost every funeral I've ever gone to, they got the, the body laying out there. We don't die well in our culture. We don't understand it. We don't know how to deal with it. So we make people up really good. And then you go to their funeral. They're dead. And somebody will say, boy, but they sure looked good. They sure look. Are you kidding me? They're dead. But they sure look good. And then what's to eat? What are we going to eat? Because as if we, we watch and look at a dead body and then we say we got to feed ourselves because we don't want to have to happen to us. So let's go get something to eat. We don't die well in our culture. And he says, it's been written about in 2014, Robert Harrison, a Stanford professor, wrote a book called Juvenescence. And he said this in 2014 last year. He said, for the first time in human history, the young have become a model of emulation for the older population rather than the other way around. We don't like to get old. We don't like to think about this. We don't like the idea that we're going to fade away. It's brutally difficult for people. There was a, when I was in college, I worked at a retirement home, and I always thought, quite frankly, that when you got old, 
You got mellower and you got kinder and you were just this friendly grandma and grandpa until I spent a summer working at this retirement uh, home. Um, and my eyes were, I was blown away at some of the mean nastiness that took place. It didn't happen. And there was one lady in particular, unbelievably dark, cold eyes, absolutely just bitterness spewed from her body. And I was in her apartment cleaning things up one time and I walked in. In, in her entire apartment, she had these pictures of herself everywhere, from floor to ceiling. And she was probably the most old, wrinkled, hunchback, cold person I think I've ever encountered. And afterwards, I said, who was that? And they said, back when she was young, she was a beauty queen. And now she had nothing. And when her beauty faded and the wrinkles came, she got angrier and more bitter and more frustrated. We don't like the idea that we're going to fade. Our culture doesn't like it. Even Adele sings about it. She's 27 years old, and her song is When We Were Young. And that the, oh, when she's talking about the old age, and somebody wrote about her new album, she goes, it's an album permeated by bittersweet nostalgia and obsessed with the fleeting sweetness of youth. We don't like that we're going to fade, but the teacher says you're going to fade. But you're not going to fade away. You're going to fade somewhere. And it's, it's good to be doing something. Dick Van Dyke is 90 years old, just came out with a book called Keep Moving. I think that's healthy. I think that's good. We should be able to do that. You should be able to stay young, be active, do things. It's good that our, we have a culture and a society that allows you, to, as you get older, to still be active. But you're going to fade, and you've got to come to grips with that reality. And if you're young, you've got to come to grips with that reality because it's coming and you will end up somewhere. And God says, remember your creator. But because of it, the Bible says, vanities of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. It just doesn't make sense. You can work hard all through life, be young, ambitious, make money, be successful. But the same thing happens to us all. We all start to fold, fade. No matter how intelligent you are, somebody dumber than you is going to take care of you. They're going to push you around in the wheelchair. They're going to change your diaper. And then you're going to die. And if you have set your life on something that doesn't matter, you're going to be extremely frustrated. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. And he comes to the end of it and he says, there's got to be more to this. And there is. That's why Jim Carrey said this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. People who have everything, he says, it's not the answer. What is the answer? So the author moves us a little bit closer. He says, there's, a little, there's more to this answer. There's got to be more to this answer. And so he wraps up what he says in verses 1, 2 to 12, 8, with vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity, he includes it all together. And then he changes the format. He says, you're going to fade, but he still doesn't automatically give the answer to us. He, he changes the format up a little bit, and he gives kind of like a book endorsement. And all of a sudden, he changes tone. He says, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. So this was either an editor who kind of came up and said, hey, this is what he was trying to say. He, he's closed up what he's going to say, but I want to highlight the important thing he was teaching you. Or he's talking in the third person about himself. And back then, when they would have wrote these wisdom books, it would not have been unusual to have some type of 
endorsement, like, you know, like we put in front of a book, a foreword. And he's saying, listen, this is wise advice that you're getting. And he says, besides being wise, the preacher who's been telling you all this, who's been taking you on this journey, has taught the people knowledge. What he said is very trackable. It's a good read, this book of Ecclesiastes. It's a very good read. It's trackable. You don't have to be the most intelligent person to understand what he's saying. You can see this. You understand this. A number of years ago, I encouraged people to have people at work read the book of Ecclesiastes. And the guy at our church did it. He, he printed it out. He gave it to a guy that he worked with. The guy, during his break, went outside, started reading the book. About 20 minutes later, he came back and he said, that's a blank and good read. Because the book of Ecclesiastes is trackable. He says the, the, he, the man's wise. He's the preacher. He's, he taught people with knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging the Proverbs with great care. It's a very trackable thing what he's trying to teach us here. It's very tasteful, he says. It's, the preacher sought to find words of delight. When you read Ecclesiastes, it's some of those beautiful scriptures, the poem of age, the, there's a time for this and a time for that in Ecclesiastes 3. It's very tasteful, but it's also very truthful. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails that are firmly fixed. This is very helpful information to us. A goad is like the prod. He says, listen, what he's telling you in Ecclesiastes, what what he's trying to get across is a very wise man. It's meant to goad you. It's meant to move you like a shepherd would with his prod or a farmer would with his cows. It's meant to move you someplace. It's also meant to maintain you someplace. Because the life is wacky. It, it makes us, bad things happen to us. We get stirred. Where are we going to go? Is God real? Is this going to understand what's going on? He says, listen, this book, this truth, is meant to move you when you need to be moved. And it's also meant to nail you down, to maintain you, to hold to what you need to know. And why is that? Because he says it's one voice of one shepherd. Because it's the word of God. Psalms 80, verse 1, the Bible says, O shepherd of Israel. Ecclesiastes and these truths are God's truth. It's God's good news for you. And he says, listen, beware of anything beyond this. With much reading and with much studying, it's absolute weariness. I'll often go to Wheaton College and I'll study. And one of our college students was there at the end of the semester a couple of years ago. I found him in the library. I walked up behind him. He turned around. And I have not seen somebody that exhausted from studying in a very long time. He'd spent almost uh, two days in sleeplessness. Much reading and much studying was very wearing to our bones. But that's not what he's talking about. Books are good. But what he's talking about is, listen, there is a way to live life. That you can just always be looking for answers. Always have questions. Always have questions. Just like it says in 1 Timothy 3. But never wanting to find the truth. And that's just weariness. Because what he's saying is this is the word of God. This is how to live. This is God's good shepherding to you. So beware of anything else. What you need to know is that God is. And that God has spoken. And the only real way to live is to live your life under the sun, is to place your life under the word of God. Do you see scripture that way? That this is God's word. When you are hearing it read to you, when you are reading it, it is God speaking to you. He says, this is good. It's meant to prod you and to goad you. And if it doesn't do those two things, you're not reading it well. Because that was what it was meant to do. It's the word of God. Telling us the story about God. 
And no matter what other philosophy, whatever other idea that seems catchy or buzzy, don't let that pull you away from the absolute truth of what God says about himself and spend time reading his word. There's, I think, one other application I want us to make from this. The Bible is the story of God, but it's also a very helpful story in this life that we're all living. 2 Corinthians 1 Verses 3 through 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. He's, he's showing us how to help people out. All the way through Ecclesiastes, he's saying, listen, I explored these ways of life. I, I went down this path, and I went down this path, and I went down this path, and it was difficult, and it was hard, and it wasn't satisfying. I don't want you to have to do that same path. I want to show you the way to go so it's easier for you. And all of us have that kind of story, don't we? We all go through difficult things. We all have experiences in our own life. And listen, if you're not careful... If you're not careful, you can just live your life and it can just fleetingly go like it's going to and poof and be gone. But you're not living your life just for yourself, First Corinthians or 2 Corinthians verse 1 says. You're living your life for God and also for other people. And so some of you, listen, are going through some very difficult times. Some of you have been through some very difficult times. And there is a generation of people that are going to come up behind you who are also going to go some of those very similar difficult times. So when you go through life, and as you're going through life, do what the teacher does. Put it together in pleasing ways. Think about how it all relates to your life. And pray this way. Pray as you go through your struggle that one that God would take you through. You would hold on to him. Pray that God would teach you what he wants you to learn from it. And even in the midst of your struggle, pray that God would translate it into an articulate way to help other people. Don't just go through life. Difficult experiences, hardships, and not be able to share them with someone else. Because there are other people coming up behind you who are going to need your wisdom. And they're going to need you to be able to articulate, how did you feel when this happened to you? How did you overcome it? How did you make it through? So be like the teacher who put it all together and arranged it with great care as you think about the story of your life and the thing that God has brought you through. And I'll ask God, help me to be articulated. Help me to be able to comfort other people with the same comfort that you have given me. And so he sets up everything he has to say. And he says, listen, you're going to fade. It's the reality of life. Everybody is. And then he breaks it off and he says, hey, the end is really good. I made this very special for you. I arranged it special for you. Listen up. What he's about to say, you need to watch this movie. Is it, this movie, what he's going to show you in a few minutes is, is worth watching. Listen Lean in close, because what I want to tell you is very, very important. He says this. He comes to the finish, and he says this. The end of the matter, all has been heard. This is it. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. 
It says this is the whole duty of man. The word duty should not be in there. It's really the whole essence of man. This is the whole of man. The most important thing that you can do as you wrap up 2015 is to fear God and keep his commandments. Fearing God is putting God front and center in your life. Fearing God is believing God, trusting God, relying on God, and loving God. It's an awesome reverence. Rene Girard is right when he said this. People today, they want to be scared, don't they? They love going to horror movies. They love to be scared. They love fear. The only fear they refuse is a good one. The one which says there is a God there who is in charge and can reward as well as punish. He says, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. It's the whole essence of man. For God's going to bring into judgment every deed. Listen. You might not remember anything from this message. But God will remember it. And every thought you're thinking, every deed you've done, is going to be brought before God. And he's going to judge every one of them. Which means there's a way to fail life. There's a way to fail in life. And the way to fail in life is by not fearing God and keeping his commandments. The fear of God, though, is not something that we think, oh, it's bad or terrorizing or a, dr- or a horror thing. The idea of fearing God for us really is a good thing. Kind of like a little girl who is, went to bed on Christmas Eve, and all year long she'd been very, very bad. She'd been lying, she'd been deceiving, she'd been just doing things that she knew was wrong, and her parents all year long had been saying, listen, there's a good list and there's a bad list. There's a naughty list out there, and you're on the naughty list. And she goes to bed that night, laying in bed, even though she may not have said anything to mom and dad, but she knows that I have not been good, and I know it, and I feel that. And I'm not really sure that there's going to be gifts under the tree for me tomorrow. And she feels the weight of the fact that she's been naughty. Have you ever felt that in your life? Have you recognized the fact that you are not where you're supposed to be with God? That you've sinned? And she feels this. And she wakes up in the morning. She runs downstairs. She looks under the tree. And there are presents with her name on it. And they're from mom and dad. And she is in awe of it. And she rips them open. And it's not just presents. It's not coal. It's exactly what she asked for. The fear of God is this reverent awe. And she looks up at her mom and dad for the rest of that Christmas day. And in her heart, she says, I I can't believe I got what I wanted. I know I don't deserve this. But my parents love me so much. Even as naughty as I've been to them, they still gave me what I didn't deserve. And I got what I wanted And I can't believe it. And it creates in her this holy, reverent awe, a fear of her mom and dad. She walks up to him. She puts her hands around their necks and she says, Mom, Dad, I'm sorry. 
I haven't been the good girl you wanted me to be. I can't be. You still gave me the gifts anyway. Thank you. And she then is motivated for the rest of the day to love and serve him because she's been motivated with a awe and a fear and a love that she's never experienced before. Somebody had to pay for her naughtiness. And her mom and dad took it. They paid for it. Somebody had to pay for our naughtiness. Somebody had to pay for our sin. And God, our good father, says, I don't want you to have to pay for it. So I'm going to send my son and your elder brother, Jesus. He's going to pay for it. And he came and he lived the life we couldn't live. And he died the death we couldn't die. And he rose from the grave. So that we can have presence under the tree. That we can receive him. And we can have life. And we can have a true fear of God. And we can be changed by that fear. It's unbelievable, amazing grace is what it is. Has there been a time when you recognize that you are sinner? Have you seen Jesus for who he is? And have you been motivated? And are you motivated? Not out of guilt and fear. That now i got to fear God so i got to do this. But the motivation of your heart is to fear God because of his great love for you. That's the only thing that's going to change you. It's the only thing that's going to matter. If you don't fear God that way, you may be God's creation, but you might not be God's child. Children of God fear their God, fear their father out of reverence, awe, not because of what their dad's going to do to them, but because of how much their dad loves them. And they're in awe over and over again that they know deep down I shouldn't be doing this. They know they disappointed them. They know that they may never say it, but they know it. And the dad just keeps loving them. That's what God's done for us. That's fearing God and keeping his commandments. There's a lot of songs that Ecclesiastes has shown me and reminded me of. But ultimately, the song, I think, that has been the most helpful was a song that was written in 1773, sung for the first time on January 1st, that I wish it wasn't so familiar to us that we could grip the words one more time, for how they were first written by John Newton, who was a sinner, slave trader, profaner of God, who was absolutely gripped by the love of God, so that he wrote out, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've known less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. To fear God is to take God seriously. Kidner said to fear God is... The fear of God is a call that puts us in our place and all other fears, hopes, and admirations in their place. Do you fear God? 
Are you keeping his commandments? Has there been a time when you've seen yourself as a sinner, where you genuinely repented, where you know it's not because of what I did, it's because of what Jesus did for me, and that what Jesus did for me is so much compelling you that you love God so much that you want to put God first in your life, and instead of getting sidetracked with all the things in 2016 that might distract you, you're going to say, I want to fear God, I want to keep his commandments, that's my desire. That's the meaning of life. And in that, you will ultimately find true satisfaction. Fear God and keep his commandments. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Unending love, 
amazing grace The earth shall soon dissolve like snow The sun forbear to shine But God who Forever, will be forever.